0: Hey, all you cool hard lemonades and seltzers. Welcome to another episode of of from Martin, a woman and beer podcast. On this episode, I am joined with Kim Collins of Guardian Brewing Company in Saugatuck, Michigan. It's a really great interview, so I'm excited for you to listen to that. And before we get to that, uh, a beer that I had this week was that I really enjoyed was Haze of Glory from Ducal Brewing Company. Um, it's one of their new IPAs, or it is a new IPA from them. Uh, they describe it as a medium-bodied New England IPA. That delivers a juicy, hazy squeeze to your palate, only at 6.3% AB. It was really good. I enjoyed it. Probably one of the better new hazy IPAs, New England IPAs on the market that I've tried. So if you can find that, definitely uh, pick one up and uh, try it for yourself. And then something in craft beer that I saw this week... um, 150 breweries in Colorado have teamed up to celebrate Colorado Pint Day. So uh, an artist in Colorado designed these really cool pint glasses with this really cool design on them. So a dollar of each pint glass sold goes to the Colorado Brewers Guild, which in turn helps all the breweries in Colorado recover from what has been a very hard year with the pandemic. And guys, exciting announcement. This podcast is sponsored That's right, you heard. I have a sponsor by Louisville Ale Trail. Beer, beer, beer. Passport, beer. Taproom, beer, beer. Good beer. Stamps, beer, beer. Adjuncts, collabs. Beer, beer. From passports to beer collabs to everyday happenings in Louisville, Kentucky taprooms, Louisville Ale Trail provides an opportunity to explore Louisville one beer at a time so check them out at com Beer. And with that being said, guys, let's get to the interview with Kim. As always, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. I am joined with Kim Collins. Kim is the owner and head brewer at Guardian Brewing Company. And you have to help me pronounce it. I'm going to mess it up. Is it Saga
1: Talk. Good job.
0: talk. For some reason it's a it's a tongue twister for me but uh Kim thank you so much for joining me on this Wednesday afternoon. Yeah thanks I'm super excited to be here. Yeah so um somebody through Port Rico, we have a lot of writers based out of Michigan and uh somebody had let me know about Guardian um as a brewery to visit and then also to have on my podcast because um one of the really cool things about Guardian is you have all women in leadership roles at the brewery. Um, So, kind of, you know, we'll just get started, talk about that. Did that happen intentionally or did it just kind of happen accidentally or, you know, was this something you had planned when you opened it to talk about how four women or five women, I'm sorry, ended up being in leadership roles at Guardian?
1: Well, we actually have five women and a dentist now. I'm like, there's just always, always change. I think as a, a female brewer and just a female business owner, I mean, it we want to surround ourselves, any business owner does, but with a good team. And our good team just happened to be mostly made up of women when it came to management. Like they were the the ones that were most eager and willing to do the job and already proved that they did a great job. So only one of them was hired like from the beginning. Um, our tapper manager, Jamie, we hired her before we opened. Everybody else just proved themselves and kind of asked for more responsibility. And so we have one taproom manager and three assistant taproom managers. Uh, my partner is the chief of operations, and I'm the brewer.
0: Yeah, so it's a pretty kind of still pretty small operation, and that's why I think you're you might be able to kind of pick and choose a little bit about who you want to be um, in leadership. But and then also kind of taking a step back, if people aren't familiar with Guardian uh, Brewing Company, tell us about it.
1: So Guardian has been a plan in the works for over a decade. Uh, We've been open for about two and a half years now in Michigan. Uh, Long story short, we thought we were opening in Colorado. So we were out in Colorado and I was brewing at five breweries out there trying to get some experience and learn more about the industry and kind of industrial commercial equipment. Um, Had great experiences, learned a whole bunch. And it just made sense to come home to the Midwest when it was all said and done and Soon as you see the West Michigan Lakeshore, you'll see how it's such an easy choice. It's just so beautiful out here.
0: Yeah. Like I like I mentioned, Michigan is on my bucket list to get up there. I've never been there. So I'm hoping to check it out maybe later this summer when it gets a little warmer. I don't like the cold. So it takes you all a little bit longer yeah. to get warmed up and then the water as well. Um, So one of the things I noticed when, you know, prepping for this podcast and just reading about Guardian itself is you guys really pride yourself in, you know, breaking these barriers and stereotypes that are in craft beer, obviously, clearly with the all-female leaderships, but also you're very vocal on social media and on your website about, you know, advocating for diversity and inclusion in the industry. So why was that easy for you all to decide to, you know, right from the beginning and clearly say, hey, this is what we're all about, whether you like it or not kind of thing?
1: I think it was easy for us because I mean, Kate and I are part of that minority. Like I can't think of that many lesbian or LGBTQ or trans owned breweries. I know they're out there. I've seen like TransFest is doing like a little virtual beer fest coming up and I know some of those folks, but there's so many more people that we haven't met and connected with. So for us, we were already kind of in that, you know, little niche pocket of minorities and, I just call our crew the the misfits of Toyland. So we opened our doors and opened our arms and we said like this is a safe place like whoever you are whatever you look like whatever you've done you know wherever you've been come here and like see if this is your team and see if it fits and I mean I love our crew. I, I hope that we become even more diverse in the future um, but for now we're we're providing a place that's that's comfortable for a wide variety of people. And and that's really what we're all about. It's just, it's intrinsic for us. So it it just comes out in everything that we do.
0: And you guys obviously do a very great job at that, which we need more breweries to kind of make that stance that, you know, craft beer is welcoming. Why do you think some beer like breweries and brewery owners, you know, why do you think they're afraid or they don't make these they're like, Oh, I just want to stay neutral. Why? Why do you think that's an, such an issue for breweries in the beer industry?
1: That's ah, a super good question. Um, I think sometimes it's fear based, like fear of the unknown, not necessarily like I feel afraid, but mm-hmm. fear of the unknown. Um, some people think it's like an over PCing of everything that's happening. So the fact that people have certain pronouns that they would like used when people are speaking about them or to them. Um, You know, it's something that I I have not exactly put my finger on yet, Um, but I'm on the Michigan Brewers Guild and one of the co-chairs of the diversity, equity and inclusion committee. And we talk about this a lot. We do. And there's so many I'll say that there's a lot of barriers to drinking craft beer for a variety of people. Um, It's getting better, way better, like faster than it ever has before. Um, But I'm going to say without knowing more, just kind of fear of the unknown, like fear that your brewery might be seen as something you think it might be seen as if you're open hearted Mm -hmm. and kind of open in that way. I'm not, I'm not sure. It just seems like, why wouldn't you want more people drinking your beer? Like, (laughs) Like, do you not like customers or money or it's not like we make a lot of money anyway, but don't you want more people to drink your beer and eat your food so that you can make more beer? Like, that's, that's how we roll. I'm like, drink my beer so I can make more beer. Like so hey, much fun.
0: <laughs> a lot of the times I hear is like, oh, we don't want to make this side angry. You know, whether it's like, I don't want, you know, I don't want to go into that, but you know I'm what sure
1: I mean. we not. I mean, we yes. get we get folks who don't see eye to eye with us. Like uh, we just finished up our last keg of Black is Beautiful this past week. And so an older couple came in and it is not an ageist thing that I'm saying because a lot of our um, customers are in their 70s and 80s. We're in a residential area of town and they love us. We're cool. But this older couple that is not local came in and they were just like, what's up with this Black is Beautiful beer? And why is there like a weird rainbow flag? We don't agree with any of this. And they said that, out they out. said that to you all? They said that to one of my servers. I'm so proud of him because he was just like, well, this is who we are and what we stand for. And, you know, you can stay. You can stay and drink and eat or the door is over there. And they left.
0: Wow. I don't and think I'm I would have I was like, well. good job, buddy. Like, yeah, <laughs> I would not have handled it as well as your server did
1: he's young. He did a great job. I'm like, I was like, man, you have so much more to you than I knew. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. So, and then kind of transitioning back to more about you is you, you started as a home brewer and then I believe you were teaching uh, classes at Indiana university. And then you decided to make the leap from home or from teaching and home brewing to brewing professionally. What, what transpired, what led to that, you know, career change? Cause obviously you're going from teaching to brewing professionally. It's a little bit kind of opposite sides.
1: Yeah. So I was um, the assistant coordinator for IU Outdoor Adventures. So I was training staff most of the year and um, leading trips and teaching classes. And I don't think I'll kind of ever give up on that love, but it was starting to wear on me a little bit. So I wasn't like loving backpacking as much as I used to or you know, constantly being on call was a little stressful, especially when there were real emergencies and, you know, like real things can happen with outdoor adventures. Whereas with beer, it can too, but the risk is way, way lower in that way. And so um, my partner, Kate, just we're hanging out one night and she's just like, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? And I'm like, "Mm," you know, something with beer, music or food. Like I love those things yay I get to do all those things right right now I think that's kind of hilarious like a decade later but you know I really wanted to go back to enjoying being outdoors again and I really thought I'd be choosing a career that was a little easier on my body no (laughs) no, not at all um so something that's physical suited me but I was like man I love the craft beer community like they're some of the best people I've ever met like just so welcoming you know Uh apart from all the weird stuff that's popped up in the news um, i would argue that most of the industry is incredibly welcoming so love that <clears throat> and i was like well i wonder what it's like to brew professionally i had no idea <laughs> like, i had no idea how different it was than home brewing and just all the things that it entailed but i feel like you either love it or you hate it like it's tons of cleaning and tons of organizing and lifting and moving of things and long hours and but it's also like building your community and building these flavors and recipes and you know whatever nerdy part of brewing people get into i i just fell in love with that and it seemed like the right time in my life to take that jump i joke it's my second career so getting into professional brewing in my 30s made me the old woman in the brew house 30 yeah Yeah, it was great. So like everyone that I worked with, except for a few guys, were all younger than me. And so I had lots of people to hopefully help me and I hope I helped them. And I don't know, it just worked. I loved it. I didn't hate it. I wasn't scared of the work and it just got better and better.
0: So you went out to Colorado, I believe, and you worked for a few different breweries out there. What was the hardest part about getting your start in actual professional brewing from going from, you know? You have that homebrew on your resume that your homebrew, but what, what did you have difficulty breaking in?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I was like coming from academia. I was like, I need to get some sort of schooling. So I started looking around and like, you know, Siebel's real sexy, like, oh, go to Germany for six months. I'm like, but I have this partner that we've been like, we just moved to Colorado together. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen. So I was like, okay, this Master Brewers Association in the Americas does a course in Madison, Wisconsin every fall for two weeks. And I was like, cool. So I'll make it three weeks and I'll go see my family and three weeks away is not a big deal. So that was a nice little in to the industry in the way that it shows people that you're serious. Mm -hmm. And I also like became a certified beer server, like that shows people that you care too. And I know for those that like, have Cicerone and hire. It's a low hurdle, but it shows that you're willing to put your own money and education on the line to further your resume. But then I kept getting, no, but you have no experience. I'm like, right, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my friend Eric at knocker was, we weren't friends at the time. I didn't know him. We just became friends because he's such a good dude. I was like, hey, I want to be your intern. And he's just like, well, we don't do internships and I was like then I want to be your apprentice and he's just like pretty much okay we'll like show up and brew with Jimmy at 5 a.m and I think it was like a test like Jim was nice because he liked brewing way earlier than that and so I showed up and it was like Idaho Springs was like iced over and I couldn't find how to get into the building and I was so nervous and I'm like the nerd with my little like cooler of lunch and to get in there and like Jimmy and I are still friends today, and Eric as well, and they were just really good dudes. I'm like, you just need somebody to help kind of open that door a little bit. So since I worked for them part-time, I was able to go from there to brewing at Boulder Beer. Oh, sorry, not open anymore. Um, I think they're, they're coming back through contract brewing, correct? Right, through Sleeping Giant, which yes. is super cool. That's good to hear. I'm like, I hope those guys are off doing great things. Um, But yeah, hung out with them for about six months with my full-time, like finally a full-time brewing job. Then people really start taking you seriously. So you got to get in for something, whether it's like a bottling line or a cellaring position or anything. And then the doors start to open. But that first in, I mean, thank goodness, there's so many like brewing programs now in Colorado. Michigan's got a bunch too. And that helps greatly because you have an internship under your belt. And with that internship, especially like I used to teach for Kalamazoo Valley uh, Community College, their brewing program, a lot of people would work with Bells and like for Grand Rapids, they would work with founders. Like it's kind of hard to ignore resumes that have big brewery names. Right. But like I didn't work for any big breweries before Boulder. So somebody needs to help open the door, whether it's you for yourself and like getting your education and getting your experience through that education or somebody who just, I don't know, believes in you and sees that spark.
0: So yeah, that you've kind of answered a lot of my question, but if you were to give advice to someone who's wanting to become a brewer and they have no real, obviously they don't have experience and they want to break in. Is it just kind of finding a job kind of at the bottom and then like working yourself up, working your your way up? Or do you say, go to school, try to get a, you know, a a brewing job at an established brewery? Well, I think
1: it's, kind of like the outdoor industry. So you have education in one hand and you have experience, like practical experience in the other hand. And there was always the debate, like which one's worth more, which one's better? You know, I have 900 days in the backcountry. Why isn't that as good of a, as a bachelor's degree in outdoor recreation or whatever? So there was always that debate. I feel like the debate is going in the same direction with brewing. Not everybody can pay for school. Like it's more school. Like maybe you have already gone to school for recreation or, you know, whatever, whatever people have studied that have nothing to do with brewing at all. And it's hard to make that jump and it's expensive and it's time consuming. So you could absolutely go that route and that gives you just that big leg up. But for people who can't afford the schooling or the time because they need to work, I would suggest a little bit of each. So when I keep trying to say this to people who are like, I really want to work in your brewery. And I'm like, we are like 300 barrels a year. Like, <laughs> we don't need a lot of help right now. But I'm like, when I do, I look around to the people that I trust and I've had relationships with in the building first, those that have experience. So my last two assistant brewers have have also attended brewing school, but we're servers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, get in, get in wherever you can get in and just start meeting people. So whether it's on a bottling line or it's serving behind the bar or it's working in a kitchen, you can work your way up that way, or you can go straight to the top with schooling. It's just, what are your time and financial commitments? Is it just you? Do you have a family? Mm -hmm. So many ways to get in. And it's the best time in the history of craft brewing is to get in right now. Every brewery is hiring.
0: Yeah, it's (laughs) like funny Everybody. now that everything's kind of <laughs> opening again and you know you're just seeing like oh we're hiring again and I'm like this mm-hmm. is your chance like I always tell people I you know I just kind of started as a bartender I also worked um, yeah. I also have schooling too but I also worked like at a liquor store in the beer department and it's like once you're just like around it and you're just involved in it you learn so much that way as well even if it is being a server but you're still You're sitting there, you know, you're still talking about beer to your customers. So that's still such an education. And, you know, then you can annoy the brewer and be like, hey, can I come join you on a brew day? And they're like, sure, you can come in. I mean, because you're because the thing is, I think is like a lot of people don't want to be like, oh, you can intern here. And because like you want to get paid, like, let's be honest. I think, think you know, like intern should mean get paid. Yeah, it doesn't, but it should. Don't ever do anything for free unless, like, mm-hmm. if you're not willing to, like, if you're like a server and you come and help one a day, I think that's different. But like, don't ever just like volunteer your time. Get paid. Get your get get money is what I always like to tell people as well. Yep. So you worked for you mentioned Tommy Knocker Boulder Epic Brewing Barrels and Bottles Brewery. Sorry, Wincoop yep. Brewing Company. Wintu.
1: Yep. They're right across from the train station. They're the, I think they're the state's first brew pub. So super old, creepy haunted building,
0: (laughs) but beautiful. So how long were you in Colorado before you decided to move back or not home? You're not from Michigan, but move back to Michigan and open your own brewery. I think we were there five years, just about. And then, you know, you had worked at so many breweries as a brewer. What, What made you want to open your own brewery and, you know, kind of run your own thing?
1: I always wanted to open my own brewery. The reason that I worked for so many other people was I would never open a brewery without having some experience, even if it's just volunteering on a canning line with somebody like, go see how other people are doing this well. So in my case, I'm like, well, might as well make a job out of it and get there. But I always wanted to create a space that the whole community felt welcome in. And so the whole idea of opening a brewery was always the end goal. And I had some bosses who I could be super honest with and say that and some that just didn't need to know.
0: Right. Was there anything like that finally clicked with you? It's like, okay, it's time. Let's let's do this. Or was it just you always had this plan after, you know, five years in Colorado, we're going to move back or was there a moment that you're like, okay, now it's time?
1: Yes, (laughs) there was definitely a moment. Uh, I'd been working for a a small brewery in Golden, and I'll say that the owners and I suddenly weren't such a strong team anymore, and like being their head brewer, like you you got, you have to be, like there aren't, there weren't that many people working there, so whenever we had issues between us, it was, you could just see it was kind of affecting everything around us. Um, I was told that I should go on a little soul search while I was going to see my family over a long weekend. And I was like, Ooh, those are interesting words. Mm, don't like that. No, I was like, so I'm going to be fired on Monday is what you're telling me. <laughs> okay. So like, you know, I'm just like, okay, so I'm reading into this maybe a little bit much, but maybe the honesty was there and it was just easier to, you know, Chuck out a phrase than to say the words. So I was like, okay. I'm going to think about this. And I went out and saw my family and my extended family and my dad just laughed and he looked at me and he's like, you're ready, aren't you? Like, we've all been waiting for you to have this moment. He's like, maybe now it's time. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. Maybe now it's time. So I came back and put in my two weeks and off we go. I'm like, I started consulting for other breweries while we were opening Guardian, I think like a week or two later, (laughs) I just, I mean, serendipity in that I'm like, I just had a friend of the family call and be like, I want to open a brewery in Joliet, Illinois. And I was like, I can help you with that. Like I'm not super busy right now. So yeah, that was the moment where I was like done being somebody else's brewer. And it was time to figure out what our place would look like and how we were going to do things and, you know, start writing the business plan and that sort of stuff.
0: Why did you pick Saugatuck?
1: We looked at a hundred properties from Muskegon to do Buffalo. And our broker, Diane is amazing. And she lives in Douglas. So Saugatuck and Douglas are right across the river from each other. So they're super close. And she's like, I want you in my town. And I was like, cool. Like I love this town, but I did not know that it was like the province town, the P town of Michigan. So If there ever were like a gay Mecca of the state, like Saugatuck is it. The Dunes Resort is the oldest gay resort in the Midwest. Like there's so much beautiful history here that no one told us about. Like no one said it outright. And maybe it's because we didn't run into any gay people. I don't know. I'm like, but nobody said it. Like you should be here because you would be welcome here. They're just like, don't live in that township. Don't open in that town so our no list was like kind of growing. I'm like, so what you're saying is, and they just weren't. So besides that, so- we, so- we should open in the town. Yeah, yeah. So this it just became obvious for that reason. And then when we looked at those hundred properties, we went in the dead of winter. I mean, really cold, like January, February. It's cold and quiet, <laughs> and we wanted to be open year round. And so we knew it was essential that we had enough like drive-by traffic and stuff. So when our building came up for sale, Kate and our broker were like, I found it. (laughs) And I mean, I stepped foot on, it used to be an old theater. Mm -hmm. And I stepped foot on that stage and looked at my dad and I'm like, am I crazy? Like he would come with us to all the properties just to make sure that, I mean, he's been in commercial real estate for like 40 years. So just to make sure that, We're making sound decisions. Like I bought houses, but that's not buying a commercial property. So all of those things together just were perfect. I'm like, it hit all of our marks. We're two and a half miles from the beach. Yes. We're near tons of hiking trails. Yes. Um, Lots of cycling in the area, mountain biking, um, lots of family in the area. I'm like, that was kind of an awesome bonus. Like we're really close to our families, um, really close to like open-hearted populations. And there's only one brewery in town. So yeah, like that's awesome. Like more breweries always mean better business for all the breweries. Right.
0: Since you've opened, have other breweries open in Saugatuck? Are you still the only two?
1: No, one. So our friends that own the Mitten in Grand Rapids Mm -hmm. opened us like a satellite location a few months before we did in Saugatuck. So we got to be the third brewery, but I'm like, that's cool. And then uh, just south of us in Fenville, uh, there's Waypost as well. And they're also female owned. Oh, so awesome. Chuck, Hannah, Hannah brews all the beer. So, yeah, I'm like,
0: we have a little little pocket of four here now. That's awesome. And then when you were just, when you wanted to open your up your own brewery, what things did you see in the industry that you were like, OK, we're going to do this at mine? Because I didn't like like was there anything you when you opened Guardian, was there anything you knew you wanted to do, whether it's you know, type of beers, you know, how you're going to brew. I don't know. That's kind of a very open-ended question, but through your experience in Colorado, what was like one thing that you're like, okay, this is how I'm going to run my brewery or how I'm going to do things at my brewery?
1: Well, I'm like being the only brewer, I didn't have to think about that a whole lot in a way. Like you only, I only had to think about it when I had to start explaining it to other people that were helping me in the brewery. So I wanted to make sure that quality was the utmost. Like if the beer's not good, we're dumping it. Mm -hmm. And we've done it before and we've done it recently. And they're like, oh, and I was like, no, we're not, we're not going to sell discounted pints of crappy beer. Like it's not worth our reputation. It's not worth like hurting the industry over serving something that's not exactly what we wanted it to be. So I knew right off the bat that Um, there's a lot of trends out there right now and they are even stronger than when we started. So we're not just going to like bend to every trend that's there. Like, it's just not, not what we do. Um, I really like making beer with all natural ingredients. So (laughs) like this week we are hand scooping and pureeing 120 pounds of kiwis for our, (laughs) for our sour, but you know what? It tastes so good. Yeah. And like, there's just no replica for fresh fruit. Now if there are really good puree companies and puree companies. If you're listening, somebody needs to get Kiwi on the market. Um, <laughs> they don't make all the flavors and sometimes they're crazy expensive. So fresh ingredients uh, quality at the forefront of it all. And then barrel aging. Like I love barrel aging beers and it's not just stouts and bourbon. Like I think that our most popular beers have been in rum and tequila barrels, which was fun because like that didn't even like there were no rum barrels around when I was back brewing for other people. So that's fun. But we've done a bunch of stuff here and, you know, people love them or they don't. And then we welcome feedback. So on the back of our flight sheet is just a survey like I read them all. Most of the time it's like, this is my favorite beer, this is my least favorite beer. And then somebody else will say the opposite. So I'm like, we're cool, those are yeah. those are going well. But if you start reading that like somebody's least favorite beer comes up, that's all the least favorite beer, you're like, okay, maybe we need to retool this recipe. But there's, to answer the question without taking an hour, um, our builders are incredibly kind men, and they were on such a great team and our architect was amazing. They listened to every little detail that we wanted. So like I drew the brewery and then he made it into like an official drawing. So like I broke up that building and I said, I want this by this, because this is where the tanks are gonna go and the kitchen's gonna go here and that's the mill room. And you know, he helped me make it official and tie up the details. But he we were standing under like a ed and I, our architect, we were standing under like an old breezeway that's now our restaurant. And he had uh, an orange little Sharpie in the pocket of his shirt and he like pulls it out. It's like legal pad and he's drawing our restaurant. We're like, we want windows and natural light and we want a horseshoe shaped bar because you get the most amount of seats but you're always like facing somebody. So if you're, you can talk across the bar to someone, oh, the days that we could sit at a bar, I, know. Like, I can't wait. And then kind of how the horseshoe comes together at the end, like if it's just, you know, you and I, and we're sitting at the bar, it's best to take that corner because then you're toward each other, but you're not, I don't know, like if the acoustics worked out well and we knew that we wanted booths, but we didn't want them too short, but we didn't want them too high. So like if you have a booth and you're speaking in a booth, it's being like publicly private. So it kind of funnels the sound into the booth if they're at least your head height. It gets really nerdy from there, but, and then I have huge feet. And so we kicked the foot part of the booth back a little bit so that I wouldn't be kicking the person in front of me all the time. Like I end up stepping on their toes. So little things like that. I mean, the builders listened to every request from like rebuilding our fireplace three times. Cause it didn't look right. And <laughs> so many things, just so many things. And so I feel like our personal touch is on, everything all over this building
0: and yeah, so, there I, were
1: so many things to think about hundreds of things
0: that's when i enjoy i go to a brewery and you can see the owner's personal touch on things because you're like they really took the time to think this through and make this theirs and i really appreciate it so like even with the footrest you you said you know i have big feet and i'm like that's like to me that's awesome and it just shows you how much you care and how much like love and hard work you put into it so that i i definitely appreciate that and i love that story
1: how many times have you sat at a bar and your feet fall asleep? You All know, because the, the rung is too low. So we had someone who was five two and someone who was six two sit at the bar, and we like, you know, kind of jacked up the little footrest and had them put their feet on it, so that the person that was five two, their feet didn't fall asleep, and the person that was six two didn't get like a knee in the bar. So you don't even notice that it's there. It's just seamless.
0: That, that, that's awesome. And then talk about, you you know, you're the brewer, so you, you build out your own brewery. Talk about, you know, how big is the brewery? um, What kind of beers you like to beer personally, or what kind of beers that guardian brews as well?
1: So we have a 10 barrel premier stainless systems brew house. So it's direct fire, which is fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I've brewed on anything from a three to a 50. So I knew that seven to 10 was kind of the magic range for us. Uh, we are not brewing to even half of our capacity, uh, that we have. So that's kind of fun. I didn't want to have to buy a new brewery like three years later. Right. So it's pretty big for what we're doing now, but works awesome. Um, we went with small and large fermenters because we knew that we'd be barrel aging, like right off the bat. I think we have 16 barrels right now and we just got rid of a whole bunch and made planters in the back, um, I love brewing really traditional beer, as much as I love brewing our Oreo stout was a challenge that some, Kate was like, this is great. You should brew an Oreo stout. And I'm like, really? Okay. And so we did, and I made it my own. And so it's a big old milk stout, which we're probably gonna use as a base beer for other things now, cause it's just so good, even on its own. And then we add 88 pounds of Oreos to it. And it's called Villain S. Did
0: you use real Oreos? Did you go
1: to the store and buy? Use actual Oreos. We didn't, you can mimic the taste of Oreo, but for this one, I'm like, I know there's stuff in there, but they're vegan. So enjoy. I'm like, (laughs) so we hand crush 88 pounds of Oreos because it's the proper amount of stuff inside the Oreos. Whereas if you buy like the big bags from GFS, it's mostly just cookie. So we do cookie-inspired beers. Um, I get a lot of, like, wild hair requests from our staff. So, like, we do a beer called Dutch Mafia, and it's a Stroopwafel Creme Ale. So have you ever had a Stroopwafel? I don't think so. What's that? So I had it on the plane going to Denver and then, again, going to Belgium. So it's a Belgian or a Dutch, like, tiny little pizzelle cookie. You know, it it looks like a little waffle. So, it's flat. It's like a tiny, maybe three and a half inch or four inch round cookie. So, it's a tiny little waffle with like cinnamon and graham crackery taste, and then a little bit of caramel on the inside, and then a little bit of waffle. And the idea is that you put it on top of your hot coffee and it kind of melts the caramel, and then you eat the cookie.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it
1: now. I've never had one of these before. They're really good. So, we like deconstructing things and making beers out of things. So, it has no strip waffles in it. But it has honey and Belgian candy, sugar and cinnamon and 70 pounds of graham crackers. And so we do that to like a crazy traditional Irish red mm-hmm. that we just made that people are going nuts over. So I have uh, so much fun researching how to use actual food in beer as well as doing historical beers. Like we have a, an Irish um, stout on nitro, you know, like a Guinness sort of thing year-round and it is as true like malts from ireland like as traditional as you could possibly make it it's awesome
0: i gotta ask when you got the oreos did you actually go to the store to get them or did you order them
1: uh no we went to the store What they hate us (laughs) they're like what are you doing we're like we have another beer
0: okay so
1: so they know they know (laughs) you. some of them know yeah i'm like So I just told Kate that we need 170 pounds of graham crackers for two beers that we have coming up. And she's like, okay. So she'll buy them like 20 pounds at a time. It takes a while.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The, the, the people at, um, would Sam probably think you just have some big camping truck planned up with like hundreds of people for, for,
1: uh, dock small camps and things. Yeah, it's fine. It's good. So we, you know, we just try to find a good price because when you use that much of an ingredient, That'll do it. Yeah. I don't know. We're having fun. And like, we've, we ask our mug club members, like, what do you want to see? Cause we're on our third year of our mug club. We did it like right from the beginning. And so they always give me like a laundry list of beers that they'd like to see for the year. And it's, I don't know, it's fun. And they, I think they feel really validated when they're like, we want, you know, a blood orange IPA and granted we haven't done a blood orange IPA yet, but we've done a blood orange sour. So they were happy. They just wanted blood orange.
0: I will. I appreciate using real ingredients. I think, you know, you can t- I can tell when I drink a beer that it has like real fruit in there, like they actually cut up strawberries and put it in it, whether it's, you know, the puree, because some of the puree isn't as great as you'd wish it to be. So um, no, I always, yeah, but I always appreciate when brewers mm-hmm. take the time to, you know, put in the extra work to make their beer taste better. And it sounds like you guys are doing that very well. We're having fun. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you've been Guardians guardian been open, you said, for a little over two years now. Mm -hmm. What has been the beer that you've been most proud of that you brewed or put out? Nessie. So our double IPA, it was
1: the first recipe that I ever made as a commercial brewer. So I made it for Boulder beer. We used to do one barrel Fridays and we used to brew in like these big metal. Like barrels. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, like a little like Franken homebrew system. And that's what we would do on Fridays because it was never like a big commercial day. It was clean or brew. And so we did a a little uh, innovation brewer day. Like every brewer made their big version or small version of something. And I came up with Nessie then. I'm like, I want a double IPA that tastes like it was has like gin botanicals. Mm -hmm. It has mosaic hops and juniper berries. And right now it is in gin barrels, so we're working with Eastern Kill Distillery. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I was like, it's going to be a boozy one. It is a boozy one. It's really good. So we just tasted it yesterday, and it's ready to come out of the barrel this next week, and then it gets dry hopped, and then I'll go drop off my gifts to Eastern Kill for being so cool and selling us some barrels. Gin barrels are very hard to come by.
0: Yeah, I've heard that. Obviously, here in Kentucky, we get pretty good easy access to bourbon barrels, but gin uh, and even though some of those tequila ones are a little bit harder for us.
1: Yeah. So I think that's it. It's my longest running recipe. I, I love it.
0: And then in addition to Guardian, you mentioned earlier that you're on the board of directors for the Michigan Brewers Guild, and you're also the co-chair of the diversity, acuity and inclusion committee. Um, so why did you know, to be a part of the board of a, a guild is, you know, it's, it's also a time consuming thing. Why did you want to be a part of that? And also why did you want to be on the uh, DEI committee?
1: So when I was in Colorado, that was my first time that I ever knew that there were Brewer's Guilds, like I just didn't even think about it. And so Colorado and its guild are very close, like they do lots of events together. And um, yeah, I just saw the benefit of what a guild can do for its state, you know, really be that, that place that makes change. And, and makes things just easier and better for the industry. And so I knew once we were out in Michigan, the guild was definitely something that we were going to join. But also I thought with, I don't even think, let's see, probably eight years into my career, it was probably time to give back. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it had been a really long time. Like I just feel like a lot of the things that we learn, we learn from other people, we didn't make it up ourselves. And so it's time to pass some of that on. And there were three or four seats available. And my partner was like, whoa, like, I'm like, that never happens. Like there might be a seat or two each year. She's like, do you think it's time? Like, again, another person in my life, like, right. Me? She's like, just put your name in. And if you don't get it, then they'll at least know who you are. So you won't be a stranger next time. And I'm like, all right, I totally got it. <laughs> so somehow we had met enough people or enough people resonated with, what I wrote for my short bio. I'm not sure, but thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, we're here to make some change. And like Michigan's Brewers Guild probably started the same way as everybody else's did. Uh, it started just as a club of brewers. So it's just a bunch of white guys that started breweries in Michigan. And now we are very different than that and are really becoming much, much different than that. But it's going to take time. And so we thought that a good implementation for our strategic plan would be to finally drill down into diversity, equity, and inclusion in Michigan. So it's not something that everybody's doing, but there are people that are doing incredible things in the state, really incredible things for their communities. And it's not being shared amongst the guild members. And so this is a way to kind of collect around anybody that wants to be in it. Like, I think we have 12 12 members of the committee right now and I want to say we're at nine different breweries so it's really great like I mean these are people that I look up to so it's just a just a neat relationship and we're just able to kind of wade through it together it's time for Michigan to I say it's time for us to to lead the charge and or you know jump on board with the states who have already gotten there and the BA put out their you know diversity statements and things like that this past year and they have a new DEI committee I don't know how old they are maybe a couple years old but that's it I'm like so it's time to help Michigan jump we've taken enough steps it's time to jump really make some change
0: And unfortunately this should have happened many, many, you know, from the beginning, but I'm glad, you know, (laughs) we're all finally like looking inward and be like, okay, there's a real problem here. You know, let's fix it. Obviously a lot of it had to do with stuff that happened over the summer. I'm here in Louisville. So it was very prominent here. So I, you know, I just loved, you know, the last person I talked to on my podcast, she was on the, the same thing in Texas. And I'm like, I love seeing more States, you know, having these committees and being like, okay, we, we need to like if there is an issue here in this industry let's fix it let's raise awareness and let's let's make this whole industry better as a whole so it was cool to see that michigan has this type of committee and they are work, you guys are working towards a, you know a better overall um Better overall industry. Sorry, my dog is starting to annoy me. He's right. He makes an appearance. (laughs) He he knows I have like five to ten minutes left. He's like, I'm gonna annoy her because she'll pet me for the final time. Yeah, right. (laughs) So I, you know, I always kind of ask this question at the very end. What, you know, what's next for you in your your beard journey? Is it you know something with Guardian that you want to accomplish? Is it something personally that you want to accomplish? Right now, we're just trying to figure
1: out if there is any way that we can can't use our license right now to distribute. But is there any way or what would be the rather there are ways what would be the, the way that is closest to our values that we could get our beer brewed or brew it and be able to distribute kegs locally in Michigan. So we'll have to see. I'm like, we're, we're digging in and. Every state's got its laws, but oh, geez. (laughs) Yeah, we're not allowed to distribute at all. No self-distribution? No, because we are a brew pub. So I hold a Class C. Brew pub in Michigan means that I hold a Class C license. We serve liquor and wine that is not made by us or not in bond. Mm -hmm. And so... I mean, I'm not going to be able to make like Kim Crawford Sauve Blanc, even if I did have a winemaker's license. I'm just, it's just not there. (laughs) So we we enjoy having lots of things.
0: Yeah, Kentucky just passed self-distribution, which was a huge win for the state because obviously it's going to help a lot of breweries recover post-pandemic. So it was a huge win for all of us here. And so I'm hoping you guys can fight that fight as well and get something changed.
1: Yep, it's just the brew pubs. So like, it's, like only brew pubs. Can. it's only the brew pubs that cannot, because we cannot be in all three tiers of the distribution system. So if we're a distributor, because we're selling our kegs to another place, we're right. the manufacturer and then we're the, the retailer, or the wholesaler, in the sense of me selling other people's wine and liquor. So I understand that. And there are ways that we could maneuver around it. We just have to choose the one that makes sense to us.
0: Because you guys do not can your beers do you? We can can them when you
1: order them at the bar. Okay. So we have a crawler machine and we have lots of different glassware options, Um, but I can't can anything. Even if you were like, I'll be there at three o'clock. I have to fill it. Like when I see you not fill it
0: ahead of time. And is that part of the the liquor laws in Michigan or is that just just for brew pubs? Oh man, that makes me angry. (laughs) I'm ready to come up there and fight for you.
1: I know. I'm like, you know, there's, there's a lot of fights. I don't know if this is the most important one right now, but um, it would be really nice for Michigan to be able to mail their beer and have beer mailed in. So like that, that queer beer fest that Sam Adams and um, hop culture, hop culture. Thank you. uh, That they're putting on. I was like, Ooh, yeah, I'm totally gonna. No, I can't order it because it cannot be shipped to Michigan.
0: They, they did one, the beers without beards fest with hop culture. It was the same thing. Kentucky was not on that list. So I'm like, well, I can get it mailed to my brother in Ohio. But then I'm like, I don't want to drive up there just to get it. So, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think something changed. I think breweries in Kentucky can ship within Kentucky. I don't know if other breweries can come in and ship. I don't That's know. Cool. Again, it changes every day, especially right now with COVID yeah. things happening. So, but yeah, hopefully you can get that figured out and get your beer out, out and around Michigan. That'd be exciting. Would be. (laughs) So you've listened to my podcast before, so you know how this ends. I have the rapid fire and then two questions. So we'll go ahead and get started. Do you prefer a six pack of 12 ounce cans or four pack of 16? 12
1: ounce cans, six pack.
0: Do you uh, prefer to brew with ale or lager yeast? Ale. If you're drinking straight from it, a bottle or a can? Can. New England or West Coast IPA? West. Yeah. Stout or porter? Porter. Gosa or Berliner Weiss? Mm, Berliner. Seltzer or cider? Cider. Cider, what's your favorite? I like to ask this, favorite apple just to eat raw.
1: Mm, I would say I was really enjoying the pink ladies. Yeah, I used to have a roommate that ate them all the time and I just, I like them, they're good.
0: Probably got some really good fresh apples up there in Michigan. There's so many. Um, do you prefer chocolate or vanilla in your beer? Mm. Vanilla. Brewery cats or brewery dogs? <laughs>
1: I would love to have a brewery cat. Mine's just too old and scared.
0: <laughs> I, I kind of, I add that in there. just a way to ask if you're a cat or dog person or both. Oh,
1: our brewery dog is our chef's dog. So both. Oh,
0: I did see that picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And brewery cats are cool because they actually have a purpose. They don't. Well, most of them should. They should have a purpose if they're not. <laughs> uh, favorite beer city that you've been to. Bruges. That's Br- a repeat one. And now like yes, that. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's uh, I think that's been the most answered one. So seems like I got to get there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Favorite beer glass style.
1: Mm. Uh, I would say uh, brandy or Belgian. Okay.
0: Yeah. Favorite hot variety. Mosaic. Mosaic. And then what's your go-to beer right now?
1: Mm, Anything with coffee in it, especially light coffee beers. So I've been drinking a lot of coffee blondes.
0: We make make a coffee pale. Yeah. That seems to be growing as a trend. The coffee, like blondes or coffee cream (laughs)
1: Finally,
0: (laughs) I'm weird. I like, I drink my coffee black, but I don't like coffee in my beer. Hmm. It's a very, yeah. it's very weird. Um, if you could go on any beer vacation right now, obviously COVID's not an issue. Where would it be and why?
1: I'd like to go to Germany and Austria. It's, it's a place that I've always wanted to go. And um, my partner lived over in Austria for a little bit and she just talks about the culture over there and it just sounds dreamy. Yeah. Like it just sounds like everybody's in on the value of beer and it's a part of their lives from when they're really little and it just, just sounds really, really different than how we view alcohol in the States.
0: Yeah. I I have that like fantasy of going over to Europe because they have such a sort of different view on alcohol and beer and you know, drinking in general. And I'm like, I'd like to experience that and maybe, you know, take that back with me a little bit. And then if you could have a beer with any person, you know, you you walk in a Guardian, you could sit down at the bar and have a beer with somebody, who would it be?
1: I knew this question was coming. So I thought about it. Um, I'd like to have a beer with Carol Stout. I was like, she was one of the pioneers of women in beer and like her whole family was a part of it. Like, I would just love to hear like what she's learned in all the years that they've been open. Uh, and I'd like to have that at her brewery. I'd really like to see Stout Brewery.
0: And if if people aren't familiar, kind of talk about who she is.
1: Yeah. So Carol Stout, um, was the owner of Stout Brewery. I think they're in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I'm like, she's just been this constant female figure in the craft beer industry for, I don't want to age her because I don't know how old she is. But I'm just going to strike out and say 20 plus years. So she was, their brewery is old enough that it's been around since like the new Belgium, you know, exactly. early nineties time. And, and she's She's never been like, look at me. I'm a woman in the like, industry. She'd be like, this is the right thing to do, you know, for our beer, for our brand, for our town, for our state, for our industry. She just seems like a really well educated, thoughtful, classy woman. I'm like, I would just there aren't that many women that have been around for that long in the industry um, that are like still involved. So,
0: so she founded Stout's Brewing Company in Adamstown, Pennsylvania in 1987. And it says here, it's Wikipedia, but it says she was the first she was the first female brewmaster since Prohibition. That's a so, big deal. Yeah. That is pretty cool. And it's yeah, well, people who I want to look that. her up, it's S T O U D T.
1: Yes. Out with a D.
0: Yes. So yeah. She's mm-hmm. definitely someone, you know, God, was she she was born in nineteen fifty. So she's definitely seen some some amazing things throughout her career. So that's a great pick to have a beer with. Yeah. I might I might join you all. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> well, Kim, I appreciate you so much for hopping on here. Um, like I said, Michigan is like my next trip when it gets a little bit warmer. And so obviously I'll have to make it over to Saga Talk and uh, visit you all at Guardian.
1: Do I'm like holler when you come up. I'll have a beer for you. Awesome.
0: Definitely want to try that. Uh, that Was it you say the Tessie or the. your like the Tessie. Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. yeah, that'll probably be my first one. Big IPA person here.
1: Awesome. We got you covered.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kim. You have a great rest of your week.
1: You too. And it was really nice to meet you. Thanks again.